Well, good morning. I have had a good week. I don't know about you, but those sometimes at the moment feel a little bit less frequent than we would want them to be. I'll explain a little bit later about why that, or why that is. And while I fully acknowledge that there is still much to lament and many to pray for, there is also much to be thankful for and there is much to be grateful for. So um, however big or small, if you're watching at home, it would be great in the comments if, if you could write your own prayers of thanks or your prayers of praise. Please do that because in a moment after we've had our first time of worship, I'm going to be using your comments and your prayers that you've posted on Facebook and YouTube to lead us in the building in our prayers of praise and thanksgiving. So please do, if you're at home, write your prayers of praise into the comment sections on Facebook and YouTube and we'll come to that a little later on. A prayer as we come to worship. Loving God, worthy of all praise and honour, we come to offer our worship, to be still and to know that you are God. You are all good, all holy, merciful and loving, faithful and true. So we lift up our hearts with joy, our voices in thanksgiving and our lives in adoration. We thank you for this moment and this place. We thank you that you want to speak to us now, teach us, Lord, and deepen our relationship with you. Help us to use this time to search our hearts, listen to your spirit, and understand your will. Loving God, draw close to us so that when the service ends and we return to our daily lives, we may go with renewed hope, vision, strength, and faith. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. A handful of people, thank you, online have been sending their prayers of thanks and praise. So let's join them in praying now. I mean, God, this morning we thank and praise you for all that you are, all that you have done, and all that you are doing for us. Alan says thanks and praise for the simple and everyday things that we can take for granted. Family, friends, health, somewhere to live, food to eat, water to drink and wash, freedom to walk and to talk in our streets and to our neighbours and to tell and show the love of our amazing God. And he says thank you Father for each person in the building watching online live or catch up. Each of us are unique and so precious to you, amazing that you, know, that you know us and still love us. Ruth says, what a beautiful, wonderful and powerful name, Jesus. Sue says, thank you, Father God, that even though we are living a mad, crazy, conflicting environment that you are constant and always for us, always faithful, always loving. And then a couple that have really touched me because they speak of the theme of this service. Cecilia says, thank you, Father, that no matter how dark the road ahead might be, we can have the confidence to know that you tread that road with us 
remember that phrase. Ruth and Andy say, praise you, our Father God, that whatever comes, you promise to go there with us. Lord, our words just never seem adequate to express the gratitude of our hearts. You are more than we deserve, more than we could ask for. You are always, in every circumstance, faithful to the end. Thank you for each and every blessing that we have received over the last week and for each and every blessing that we will receive in the week ahead. Thank you that there is nowhere we can go from your spirit, nowhere we can flee from your presence. Today and in the days ahead, may we take nothing for granted, but attune ourselves to your constant rhythms of grace. In your holy and wonderful name, amen. Before we hear this morning's reading, I want to share two stories with you. The first is a story about this church. On the 3rd of September 2015, every newspaper in Britain and many across the world showed a picture of Alan Kurdi's lifeless body on a beach in Turkey. He was a three-year-old Syrian refugee who, along with millions of others, was forced to leave his country in the midst of war and try to find somewhere he could grow up in peace. Tragically, he died trying to reach Europe. And the photo sparked an international outcry and soon Britain had pledged to take 20,000 refugees over a five-year period. The church responded in a couple of ways. Space, Lee Road's youth group, moved by the crisis, raised over £7,000 with other churches locally to send aid to refugees in Europe. And when Lent came along, we hosted a reflective prayer exhibition that informed the community of the human cost of war while relating it to Christ's own suffering. Soon after this, local residents persuaded South End Council to sign up to the government's refugee scheme. They pledged to welcome two families on the understanding that private housing could be found to accommodate them with a family soon to move out of one of the church-owned flats, the church members' meeting discussed whether, following the momentum of increased concern with refugees about refugees, they might offer the flat at a marginally subsidised rate to the council for such a purpose. And it passed unanimously. And so, four and a half years ago, I had the privilege of picking up a family of Syrian refugees from the airport and bringing them to their new home here in Lee. Since that date, they have become dear friends of mine, and I know for a number of you in the church too. They have never stopped expressing their gratitude for what the church has done. But the truth is, they have given back tenfold with their hospitality and their friendship. At first they were three, but a few years ago, little Anwar was born, and he is now an energetic presence in the life of our preschool. 
Noran has gone from being a timid 13-year-old, not speaking a word of English, to now having better GCSEs than I do, and speaking of her experiences of her welcome as a refugee in the UK, in front of Southend Council, MPs, and on national TV and radio. Abdul, too, has made tremendous steps forward in his English and is continually improving. And he has recently got a job as a science technician at a local secondary school. In so many ways, the family are thriving. But one thing has been a constant shadow over their lives since they left Syria. Their family is not complete. Abdul and Fatima have two other sons from whom they have been separated for many years. More about this a little later on. The second story I'd like to tell is far less recent. It is the most retold story of the 4th century French bishop Martin of Tours. The story goes that one night, in an unusually severe winter, Martin met a beggar at the gates of the city of Amiens. Having nothing but his arms and the plain garments of a soldier, He prayed that those passing by would have compassion on the naked man. However, no one came to his aid. So Martin, taking his sword, cut his cloak in two and gave half to the beggar. That night, Martin had a dream in which the risen Christ was wearing half a cloak and telling his angels that Martin had given it to them. Marion has our reading for us. Thank you, Marion. We're continuing in our series on 1 Peter. Morning, everyone. Can you hear me all right? Am I near enough to the mic? Thank you. Um, This is for uh, 1 Peter, chapter 2, verses 4 to 10, and this is from the New Living Translation. You are coming to Christ who is the living cornerstone of God's temple. He was rejected by people, but he was chosen by God for great honour. And you are living stones that God is is building into his spiritual temple. What's more, you are the holy priest through the mediation of Jesus Christ. You offer spiritual sacrifices that please God And as the scripture says, I am placing a cornerstone in Jerusalem, chosen for great honour, and anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Yes, you who trust him recognise the honour God has given him, but for those who reject him, the stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. And he is the stone that makes people stumble, the rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they do not obey God's word, and so they meet the fate that was planned for them. But you are not like that, for you are a chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, For he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. Once you had no identity as a people, 
but now you are God's people. Once you received no mercy, now you have received God's mercy. Thank you, Marion. I'd like us to reflect this morning just for a few moments on where God can be most notably encountered. Paraphrasing some of the words from the prophet Hosea, Peter's words at the end of today's reading are these. Once you had no identity as a people, now you are God's people. Once you received no mercy, now you have received God's mercy. These words remind us that the origins of our faith begin at the margins, at the very edge of society. Most commentators agree that the majority of those who received Peter's letters were Gentiles, much like the vast majority of us. And as Gentiles, we are predominantly at the edge of the Old Testament story where the focus is very much on the people of Israel. But by the grace of God, now we are embraced, included, welcomed into the story of God's redeeming mission in the world. Once we had no identity as a people, now we are God's people. It's not that we're at the centre of the story and on occasion we benevolently reach out to assist those on the edge. We are not Martin of Tours in the story I told earlier. We are the beggar. And perhaps even more remarkably than that, we worship a God, Jesus, who was very much at the centre of the story. He wrote the story. He created the story. But for our sake, he became Marginal, being born not just as a fragile human baby, but on the edge of the world in which he inhabited. From that place, he was scorned by us mortals. He was the stone that the builders rejected, and in the spirit of Matthew 25, he was the beggar in the story of Martin's cloak, rejected by all the passers-by. That is the God we are called to follow. But there is a second meaning to what it is to live on the edge. Over the last few months, a lot of time has been given in churches across the country to something called, or what people are calling, hybrid worship or hybrid church. There's been a recognition that many churches, including us at Lee Road, have extended their reach into their communities, and in some cases far beyond because of the church's innovations in embracing online services. And as we emerge from lockdown, many churches, including Lee Road, are exploring how we can start gathering in person again while not abandoning the online community that has emerged. It is a complex question. But there are churches, churches that pre-pandemic were considered quite contemporary, who are not asking that question. And some are wondering as a result whether they have lost their edge. That phrase which is often attributed to ageing athletes or comedians that haven't kept up with the society that they've always been so good at mocking, speaks of an inability to effectively fulfil their calling. Lee Road needs not to lose its edge 
if we are going to fulfill our God-given mission. If we're going to relate to the changing world around us, then we must explore how we can express ourselves in ever new, innovative and cutting edge ways. But that is only one way Lee Road needs to live on the edge. As we seek to innovate and experiment with new directions, we must not neglect the divine edge of humility that Jesus embodied so perfectly and that Peter alludes to in this morning's reading. We belong on the edge. And every time the leadership meets and every time the church members meet to consider the direction of the church, we should be asking, are we losing our edge? Not just in innovation and discovery and experimentation, it means, are we hanging out with the right people? Is this church a place where we align ourselves alongside those who have been rejected? Is this a place where asylum seekers and refugees meet people with dementia? Is this a place where those with mental illness can meet those with physical disability? Is this a place where those whose lives at home had been so terrible that they would prefer to live on the streets meet with those who have lost their identity or loved ones through old age? Is this a place where those who have been rejected by one church because of their sexuality can find a friend who has been made to feel uncomfortable by another church because of the colour of their skin? Please don't misunderstand me. This passage is not just about reaching out with benevolence to such people. It is recognising that in significant ways, we are such people. And that as such people, we can show the whole community what it is to be faithful and hopeful and loving. Those on the edge teach the people who God is and where God can be found. That is why Lee Rhodes must continue to be on the edge. Because that is where God is. It is where he chose to be in Jesus. It is where he chooses to be in us. The one thing that has overshadowed all of the progress Abdul, Fatima and Noran and Anwar have made in recent years has been the separation from Abdul and Fatima's other two sons. It's too long a story to go into today and you can perhaps join me for coffee after the service online and I'll gladly share more. But Abdul, Fatima and Noran were separated from one of their sons when they had to flee Syria and the other son when they were brought to the UK. Without going into details, it is no exaggeration to say the younger of their two sons has gone through hell since being separated from his family eight years ago. Knowing what he was suffering, but witnessing it 3,000 miles away was just excruciating for the family. They were so grateful for the future that they had been given but devastated there was so little they could do to give the same hope and support to their son. 
It wasn't long after their arrival in the UK that various members of this church started supporting in any way they could, befriending them, informally teaching English, financially supporting them, and writing to countless charities, politicians and officials trying to see what could be done for their youngest son. The journey has been long and complicated. But the family were given some hope a year ago when we were introduced to a solicitor who was willing to take on their case. Over the course of 10 months, we compiled as much evidence as possible that this family's separation from their son was both detrimental to him and mentally devastating for them. We were told when their case was heard that there was next to no chance of it being granted at first hearing. But there was some hope it might be considered favourably following a lengthy appeals process. The paperwork was filed just before Easter. Then last week, we were told a decision had been made. But knowing how small the chances were, we didn't get excited That is, until their son called to say the British consulate had been in touch with him and he had been given some papers. Not speaking or reading a word of English, he didn't know what these papers were. But when he sent us a picture, it was clear what had happened. It was nothing short of a miracle. Their son's case had been heard and granted without the need to go to appeal. Without knowing it, he was holding paperwork that would allow him safe and legal travel to be reunited with his family due to exceptional circumstances. Not only that, but with some work to ensure COVID compliance was in place, he could travel as soon as he could arrange it. Having waited eight years to be reunited, we didn't waste any time. And this was the privileged scene I got to witness two days ago at Stansted Airport. I want to be clear if you are part of this church you did that you all did that you are all a key part of what is nothing short of a God given miracle 
A miracle that has given this wonderful family renewed hope and joy. This is what happens when a church chooses to live on the edge, chooses to build relationships with those on the edge, chooses to draw alongside those so often rejected and reciprocate the love and mercy we ourselves have been given by God. If this week has reminded me of anything, it is that it is so important to be with the people you love. Our relationships suffer when we are apart from one another. I'm sure to some degree all of you have felt this over the last year as we haven't been able to be with the loved ones the way we have been with them before. And the same is true about our relationship with God. Such is his desire to be with us that in Isaiah 43, he calls us precious, honoured, and loved. He says, do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bring your children from the east and gather you from the west. He calls us to bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Again, words that this week have had a particular resonance for me. Such is his desire to be with. Simply doing good things for others is not the same as being with them. And even when we work with others, we can get so captivated by the goal we are achieving that we can lose sight of the relationships that are invariably more significant than any goal. That is why the night shelter was such a great thing. It wasn't just giving shelter, it was offering a hand of friendship. It wasn't just providing a meal, it was sharing a meal. That is why the Christians Against Poverty coaches do such wonderful work. Because it's not just about freeing people from debt, it's about drawing alongside them for as long as it takes. That is why the emerging plans for the community hub next to the fabulous cafe are so exciting. Because the prospect of building meaningful, and genuine relationships with those so often sidelined by others is so real in a place like that. It's not just the goal, it's the relationship. It's the being with. Someone who goes to lengths to achieve a goal without properly acknowledging and loving those around them on the way will have no one with them when they celebrate their successes and if we go to the pearly gates alone God will say to us where are the others? The story of Martin of Tours and the beggar is in the end a story of two people who realise their need of one another it is the relationship that matters more than the cloak our society is fractured, not because of a shortage of cloaks, but because the challenge of restoring broken relationships often seems too difficult. 
But if there is one story that can speak into that challenge, it is the Christian story. It is, after all, a story about how God healed a broken relationship with us, risking everything to do so. Christianity is fundamentally about restoring broken relationships between God, ourselves, one another, and creation. It is about rediscovering how important the with is. The trouble some have with such an emphasis on being with is that it can seem somewhat passive. But the purpose of our activity is to be present where God is present. We're not trying to put the worlds to rights as if God hadn't already done that by his cross and resurrection. Saving the world is very much God's job, not ours. But where God shows up, we too must show up. Where Jesus calls us, we must follow. Where the Spirit of God blows, we must be carried along in the breeze. Being in the presence of God doesn't always mean sitting passively at Christ's feet like Mary. Where God is at work, we want to be at God's side. But being with God certainly doesn't mean being like Martha, who was so preoccupied in her doing for that she ignored Christ's offering to be with. In the fullness of time, the vision of a new heaven and earth is one in which there will be no problems to solve and we can live forever in relationship with God, one another and a renewed creation. But our calling is to live God's future now which means to seek restored relationships with those with whom we will be spending eternity. My desperate hope is that this church's commitment to those on the edges will never wane. I hope we will never lose our edge or our identity as people on the edge. I hope we will understand the story of Bishop Martin of Tours, that it is a story of a man who had a dream, a dream in which he shared what he had and all had enough. And in doing so, he came face to face with Christ. I hope as we look to the future, above all, we might seek to live that dream. Let me pray. Loving God, I simply pray this morning that those of us in the building and those watching at home will give serious thought to how we as individuals and as we as a church might find a new confidence in being on the edge. We have seen this week the powerful ways you transform lives on the edge and we want to be a part of that. We love coming to these services, resting in your presence as Mary rested at your feet, but we know that you are not a stationary God. You are on the move and you call us to follow. And move more often than not to the places on the edge. 
May we not be so preoccupied with our doing that we miss your invitation to walk with you. May we not be so preoccupied with counting those who follow us that we forget to follow you. Where we have gone astray, draw us back to the edge. Make us ambitious and intentional in decisions that take us there. And if there is a cost, so be it. There should be a cost to living on the edge. Help us not to be afraid of that. Lord, might we be known as a community of faith that is not self-serving but is sacrificial, that is open to all those who want to be with others on the edge. And there, as we find solidarity with those who have been rejected, might we all find Christ the one who was rejected but who has become the cornerstone of our faith and the hope of our lives. Amen. May God bless us, our God who called the world into being, who breathed us into life, who provides us with new strength. May God bless us, our God whose love does not know borders or walls and whose justice will come. Our God who casts down the mighty and lifts up the lowly. May God, creator, redeemer and sustainer bless us and all who are living on the edge this day and always. Amen.